0: Welcome to Illucinated, a podcast for curious souls driven by a desire for discovery. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Illucinated. I am your host, Kelly. I've never fully introduced myself in any episode, so um, hi, I'm Kelly. And uh, today is the first day of December, which means that from now until December 25th, it's Christmas. And on Christmas Day, right after you open your presents, it's New Year's. And in the spirit of Christmas, I've written a Christmas poem about my cat, which I would like to share with you all today. And I know what you're thinking. Only one cat poem? You seem like the kind of girl with a library of cat poems, with a section reserved just for the holiday ones. Thank you. Wow, um, that's so nice of you and I'm honored you think so highly of me, but the truth is, ever since I began trying to create presentable writing, I've been in a rut. When I try to write songs, the melodies come but the words lag behind, stuck inside my small intestine. Sometimes I'll grunt some lines of melody into a voice recording app on my phone and as I do, filled with emotion, I am moved by my own grunting, but the words, they don't come. And when I try to squeeze them out, they come out smeared in hemorrhoid blood, the kind of words not good enough to show anyone. Unless we are in the business of wasting people's time and showing off our constipation-induced hemorrhoids. Most respectable writers warn against that kind of stuff. According to Charles Bukowski, whose grumpy, grungy, gritty prose I unironically read aloud in my Thanksgiving gratitude episode, if writing is not bursting at the seams, it's not meant to take form. And maybe yeah… You like to write, and yeah, you have a distinct voice, and technically, you write a lot, all day even. You can't keep yourself from live reporting every bit of life experience to your blog. You write about how you took your cat to the vet, and how it made you feel special, like you have judicial authorities. You write about how one time, you told a former high school classmate about how you had just gotten a kitten, and how he responded with, Oh, I thought you'd have several cats by now. And it offended you because you're actually a dog person? You write about how lately you seem to take everything so personally, and if someone tells you they regret not going to therapy 10 years ago, your impulse is to defend yourself with 10 reasons why you're perfectly healthy and how it can look confusing to others when you're the only sane person in a society made up of entirely deranged sociopaths. So, yeah, you write. Maybe even as much as Stephen King on a good day. But it's not the kind of writing you'd see in a book, not even a book of essays. You write poetry, but anything, a grocery list, is poetry now. And you have no respect for the form. You write poetry almost to spite people. Like this? You consider this poetry? Well, how about this? Huh? Poetry too? Oh, just get ready, because I have a long shopping list prepared for you now. An epic. So you write poetry, but it's not anything you'd like to share, usually. There's a gap between you and the kind of writing that people are willing to read. For that gap to close, you'd have to try and actually be respectful to your audience, if not them as people, because they are deranged sociopaths, then at least give them something that you think they might like. And for God's sake, you must try. You have to do something so you know where you stand, so you know where to go. It doesn't help that you expect to be delighted and thrilled by your own writing even at this stage where you're not producing earnest work. It's like you're a novice baker who keeps on eating the raw cookie dough before it gets a chance to become cookies. And you go, okay, this is pretty good, but I don't know if anyone would call this a cookie. Of course, people do sell and eat cookie dough now. It's like what I told you about modern poetry. I say you, and you know I'm talking about me, but maybe you can relate in your own way. Not everyone, though it sure does feel like everyone is into writing. And writing is never about writing. Writing is about life. So maybe you can relate in your own way. When I try to write a story, I'm not sure where the story begins and where it ends. I'm not sure what the story is about. The struggle to write itself mirrors my real-life struggle of not knowing what this is about. When I say this, I'm pointing to myself I'm gazing at myself right at the navel. When I say this, I'm looking at you and which dogs of yours I want to take home. When I say this, I mean my life, my path, my 20s. And in this space of shapeless life energy, aching to take shape, I found another parallel between the art I'm struggling to pull out of me and the situation at hand. Every art form that moves through time plays with two things, tension and relief. A song with or without words is about creating and resolving tension by wandering to and from the center of gravity of a key. Like if I sing the major scale, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, if I don't end with another do, which is the gravity of the scale, you feel unsettled. Why is Netflix so successful? Because they always make sure to leave you on that note where it's uncomfortable. You have to keep watching so you can find relief. Why do we call people who make big deals out of little things dramatic? Because drama is the spicy cousin of enjoying the little things in life. Drama is creation of tension that then gets a chance to be resolved. Shows Movies, plays, any story, any piece of music, any piece of art that moves through time plays with tension and relief. Relief is where we like to be, and tension blocks us from relief. In other words, to create tension, we have to establish where we'd like to be. If you press on piano keys randomly without establishing a key signature with a root note, the result would hardly be considered music, much less art, by most honest people. And if, when writing a story, you don't create a goal for your protagonist, then there is no drama and there is no story. So Buddha, that wise old man, knew this. That's why Buddhists have been talking about detaching from desires for 2,500 years. Because tension can only arise when we are kept from where we'd like to be. So, the precocious Buddha decided he would desire nothing instead. Except, for someone so unattached, he sure has a lot of rules to live by. And isn't attaching to unattachment a form of attachment in and of itself? There is a goal, and the goal is enlightenment, is it not? It seems to me that the goal is to get to the relief and to stay in the relief. The goal is to stop reincarnating because reincarnation is perpetuated by karma, and karma is just another word for drama, the tension needing resolution. Maybe I'm being edgy, maybe I'll agree when I'm 90, but even now, I can see Buddha's words being wise in a different, more geriatric circumstance. When I'm 90, I would love to not care. I would love to cease wanting, desiring so I can find peace and light and calm within myself. But I think what gets me to that point is having had the experience of tension and relief over and over, again and again, and then just once more. Of desiring, of getting, of having, of losing, of crying, of laughing, of fearing, of growing. While I'm young, I want to want. I can save the not wanting bit for the end of my life when nothing more can be had. And do you know what the problem is with our generation? We have choice. Privileged. We can freely decide what we want. But we're also too young and don't know what to choose. We want to be passionate we want to accept to suffer for what we love we want to love we want to graciously and with gratitude acknowledge this privilege but this privilege has been given to us so quickly it feels more like a burden we don't yet know how to manage we're supposed to want to wake up at 5am and go to sleep at 4am to do our life's work Supposed to be excited. We're supposed to have a goal, know our goal, grin happily as we tread confidently over blocks and tension that keep us from our relief. And what are we meant to do? For one, I think we can bang out some notes on the piano randomly and see if they sound like anything. And if they sound like something, maybe we can keep them in mind. And in this space of shapeless life energy, take form so in this christmas edition of Illucinated, we started with christmas meandered into buddhism and now we're here we're here where i promised you we would be the christmas cat poem i put effort into this poem and it's not cookie dough poetry it's a cookie i know you're excited to hear it and i just want to give you a quick note on my cat because then the poem will be even more enjoyable. So his first name is Kippy. His first real name is Kipchoge, named, named after Elliot Kipchoge, but he goes by Kippy. He also goes by Kips, Kipmaista, Koi Bito, Little Man, and um, many other names. He loves to eat. He eats and goes out and comes home and asks for more food. And we recently discovered that while he's outside... He goes to the neighbors to eat their food. Don't tell him I told you because it's technically his personal business, but the cat doctor said he should lose 2.5 pounds. In the past, I've questioned Kippy's capacity to hunt due to his unnatural weight. To which, he responded by bringing home a series of live animals. A rat, a fully grown New York hot dog sized rat, then a bird, And another bird. Kippy is quick, snarky, and sure of himself. He is a man with both goals and inner peace. We don't know how he does it. How does he juggle the paradox of simultaneous tension and relief? Needless to say, but not that needless, otherwise I wouldn't be saying it, he is a character who inspires me. He is my muse. He is my song. He is tiny and big at the same time, blunt and mysterious at the same time. He is my angel. He is my kryptonite. He inspired this poem last night. It's called Kippy's Christmas. Kippy dearly hopes, very sincerely, and it shows, for Santa to grant his wishes. A short list, he wrote. One straightforward little note. Please gift me beef and fishes. And in the years to come, delightful treats in some, with love, a hug, and kisses. But Kippy heard a rumor, so terrifying he shudders, that only sweet kids get visits. Mom, have I been good this year? He asks. Well, have you brought birds in here? Mom laughs. But that was great fun, he reminisces. Dad, I have been good this year, he says. If you say so, my little dear, dad frets, and Kippy's starting to get suspicious. There must be a conspiracy. Santa wouldn't betray me, says the cat best described as mischievous. And on that fateful day, Santa comes his way, his reindeers fast and furious, Kippy hides behind his paws, for he can't believe what he just saw, the big man with sleigh bells and biscuits. And on the front porch he comes, and on the door he thumps, to inquire where our Kips is. <clears throat> Here I am, big sir, and out comes our little mister, for he does not want to miss this. A present to deliver, a lifetime of second and third dinners. For my favorite boy, little Kipias. Happily, Kippy dances because Santa gives second chances, and it's never too late to land on his good list. And away the big man goes on a sleigh ride so magical it glows. Goodbye, little guy. I'll see you next Christmas. Thank you for listening to this episode of Illucinated, and I will see you on my next episode. Bye-bye.